TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Folks, this, uh, as you mentioned, this has been a long-running dispute, subject of conversations between the U.S. and Canadian government, the Bush administration and the Obama administration. Is this part of the milk dispute, and is this a lever or a bargaining chip with the Canadian government over that sub- that that dispute that's going on as well? This investigation had been underway before anything came up about milk. And on a statutory basis, the last day we could have released the findings would have been today. So the only thing that we did do was accelerate it one day. But it's not related at all to the milk dispute. Do you see it as factoring in the Canadian uh, judgments about how to respond or how to resolve some of these other trade disputes? Well, everything relates to everything else when you're trying to negotiate. So I can't say there's no impact. But what we had tried to do was to clear the air and get this dispute out of the way before the big NAFTA talks went on. That was not possible to achieve, and that's why we went ahead and released the findings. Are you comfortable with how this has worked out in terms of what it means for the overall relationship between our two countries? Well, they are a close ally. They're an important ally. They're generally a good neighbor. That doesn't mean they don't have to play by the rules. What do you mean by generally a good neighbor? Well, things like this I don't regard as being a good neighbor, dumping lumber. And there's a feeling in the dairy industry that they were a little bit abrupt in the action that they took the week before. The case was brought to an international court. Canada won its case. What do you answer to this? I had nothing to do with the prior cases. I'm confident that this case is a good case. The problem with dairy isn't that they're dumping dairy products in the U.S. The problem is the reverse. They're prohibiting U.S. dairy producers from selling their products in Canada. And as a practical matter, and we're looking into whether there are measures we can do to try to correct that. Mr. Secretary, have you heard from uh, anybody in the Canadian government, or has the Prime Minister reached out to President Trump to try to convince you to, to change your policy or change the approach or work with you in any way? Well, I haven't heard of anybody trying to ask us to change the approach. You've seen the public statements that the Canadians put out. As far as I know, that is their position. Secretary, I'm curious whether this softwood lumber dispute or the milk dispute points to the need to revisit, to renegotiate NAFTA sooner rather than later. Well, I think it does because, think about it, if NAFTA were functioning properly, you wouldn't be having these kinds of very prickly, very unfortunate developments back to back. 
So in that sense, it shows that NAFTA has not worked as well as it should. That's one of the problems. In a not so public fashion, you're coming out into the briefing room. You're obviously trying to flex the muscles of this administration. Uh, what would you say to the layman out there who says, you know, "Why is President Trump messing with the Canadians now?" It's not a question of President Trump messing with the Canadians. We believe the Canadians violated legitimate practice, and, if, and to the degree we're correct in that, it should be corrected, just like steel dumping from China. Or any other trade infraction. You're trying to make a point publicly. We, we make it publicly all the time. It's just that there has been so much general public interest engendered by the two things, the dairy and the lumber, that we felt it was good to clarify. During the presidential campaign, people following the then candidate Trump would assume his singular focus would be on Mexico in terms of trade. All of a sudden now we're hearing all these items related to Canada. Uh, can you tell us why the focus seems to have shifted up north? Well, we had no way to know that the Canadian dairy uh, people would take the action that they did, nor did we have any way to know that the lumber dispute wouldn't have been resolved by negotiation. We tried. It didn't work, and so we went ahead with the statutory proceeding. I'm sorry. Sorry, is the administration contemplating additional trade actions against Canada at this point? As far as I know, there's nothing immediate uh, contemplated. Um, when I talk to trade experts about this, they say the substance of what you did is very routine. Like this has been done before, these preliminary uh, countervailing duties. Uh, but they said what was really irregular was the way that you communicated it. Is this something that you're trying to sort of do as a bit of a PR thing to give put NAFTA on notice? How, how should we read your very aggressive statement? Well, uh, it, it's not substance? routine. It's not routine in that a billion dollars of countervailing duties does not happen every single day. This is a quite so large... In the early 2000s. It's happened, it's happened before. It's not unprecedented. Well... We, we made the release the way that we made the release. Why did you make it that way? It, it seemed appropriate under the circumstances. Yes. Mr. Secretary, thank you, sir. Uh, sir, uh, India and America both were, uh, India, America was the largest trading partner of uh, India, or India was the largest trading partner under Prime Minister Modi. And now we have a new administration with a new thinking and a business administration. Same thing in India, Prime Minister Modi has the same thinking. So what is the future of the trade between U.S. and India, sir? Well, U U.S. does not have a free trade agreement with India at this point. So the trade relations between U.S. and India are governed by the WTO rules. There's no nothing in the actions we've taken that changes that. Mr. Following up on what Jim said, though, if housing prices do increase due to this, what do you tell the average consumer in the United States if their prices are going up? They didn't bargain for that. Well, I don't know what they bargained for, but I'm sure what nobody in the United States bargained for was people dumping product. It's no different whether you dump steel or aluminum or cars or lumber or anything else. 
No, nobody uh, has. There's a, there's a, there's a term countervailing duty and anti-dumping interchangeably. They're two different things. Which is it? Dumping. Or this, this is a counter. This is countervailing duties. Could I kind of timeline for when the president is going to announce his intention to renegotiate NAFTA, and could this move actually complicate his efforts to get a good deal? Well, we put the Congress on notice quite a few weeks ago of our intention to renegotiate NAFTA. It, what's been stalled is getting the uh, Trade Promotion Authority, the so-called Fast Track Authority, approved by the Congress. Now, with uh, Bob Lighthizer having been confirmed out of the committee today and hopefully coming to the Senate for a full vote very shortly, that should cure one of the objections that some of the senators had. Namely, they were concerned about formally reopening NAFTA in the absence of the U.S. trade rep being confirmed. Now, the catch-22 to that was they were also slow-walking the confirmation. So it was a little bit of a circular thing. But in any event, that appears to be in the process of being corrected. But could this move complicate your efforts to get a good deal? Everything affects everything else. But uh, this trade issue over lumber, as has been pointed out, is not a brand new issue. It's been around for quite a while. The next upcoming meeting of the G7 is about a month away, and the U.S. is in the middle of negotiations with uh, or talks with China about how to address North Korea. Are you comfortable that the North Korea calculus has not hamstrung your ability to be as direct with China on matters like this? And is the action with Canada meant also to signal to our other Western economic allies and partners that if that if they mess with the U.S., they could face? something like this. Well, as to Canada, as you know, at the Mar-a-Lago meetings, we agreed on a kind of 100-day program, and we're going back and forth with the Chinese over that 100-day program. So we shall see what comes from that. As to the action with lumber, or for that matter with dairy, with Canada, it really has no bearing on the Chinese relationship at all. Thank you. It seems to me that the object of the 25 of the 25 uh, percent tariff on soft lumber coming out of Canada is not to raise wood prices; it's to save and create American forestry jobs and loggers who are losing their jobs right now as a result of the dumping. Has the administration done a study? Do you know how many American jobs are going to be saved by this tariff? Well, it's quite a lot of board feet of lumber. Um, lumber, lumber sells for about uh, 38 cents per foot. So if you take all these large amounts, there are about 47 billion board feet of lumber consumed in the U.S. market uh, in a given year. And part of the reason I don't see that there'd be a huge price differential coming in is this only affects 31.5% of that output. The competition among the American producers remains the same. So this is not like suddenly house prices are going to go up 10 or 15%. That's silly. How many jobs will be created? How many new jobs will be created or jobs will be saved as a result of stopping the 
John, well, I, I, I don't have an exact total, but I can tell you it's in quite a few states along the northern perimeter going all the way down into Louisiana. So this affects quite a number of people and quite a number of businesses. Secretary, you're getting bipartisan support at the very least for your actions on, on softwood lumber. I expect that there'll be bipartisan support on whatever action you take on behalf of the dairy industry as well. I mean, you appear to be laying the groundwork here for your notification to Congress that you'd like to renegotiate after. Are we correct in reading it that way, that you're kind of paving the, the pathway here, or at least greasing the skids? Well. The president announced a couple of months ago that he wanted to renegotiate NAFTA. And as I say, it's been stalled in the Congress because to do it effectively, you really need to use the Trade Promotion Authority. I think you're aware of the benefit that gives, which is when it comes to the floor for vote, it's an up or down vote. They can't amend the uh, deal. So it makes it much more probable of getting a deal approved. That's the practical significance of it. So these, these very public actions that you're taking and being here in the briefing, is that sort of paving the way for, for, for promoting that authority? Well, we hope to get as soon as possible the Trade Promotion Authority granted. Only Congress can do that. And so we've been consulting with the staff. I've met I don't know how many times, but quite a lot of times, both with Ways and Means and with the Senate Finance Committee. And we hope that with the Lighthizer confirmation, that will remove that impediment. Mr. Secretary, do you favor a free trade agreement with India or not with Goyal? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear. Do you favor a free trade agreement with India? As you said earlier, it doesn't exist between the two countries right now. Do you favor a free trade agreement with India? Oh, uh, any pending trade events with India? Is that the question? Free trade. Free trade. Free trade. Free trade. Um, I don't believe that there have been any serious discussions with India of late on the topic of a free trade agreement. Um, but uh, there's no inherent negative attitude on our part regulating that. Well, I think the right time to talk about executive orders is once they've been issued. <laughs> Mr. Secretary, on, on the, this is uh, a very high, this is a high profile action, even if there's a precedent for, for similar action in the past. Is, is there a risk that this could provoke retaliation on the part of the Canadians and we could see a, a trade war between the United States and Canada? Well, well, I know that that would be a stimulatory thing for all your readership, but we, we don't think that's going to happen. So this is isolated, this is dairy and softwood and... We think so, and, and we certainly hope so, and we look forward to constructive discussions with the Canadians as we get into NAFTA. You don't anticipate any retaliatory action on the part of Canada? It's totally Canada's decision what they'll do. I'm not aware of anything that we've violated, so I don't know what it is that they could do that would be a legitimate action. What if we pass the border adjustment tax? What about what part of the tax reform package? 
Well, as I understand it, there'll be some word on the tax reform package from the people who are working on it, so it would be better to address that question to them. Well, while we have you, Mr. Secretary, what about the social of 3% uh, GDP growth? Is that an, a, a, a fair assessment? Is that something that is realistic? Do you believe it's realistic? Well, I would hope that the growth could, over time, get to be better than that. President Obama is the only president in many, 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 many that didn't have at least one year of 3% growth. And with all the initiatives that we're doing, the regulatory reform, the trade reform, the tax reform, hopefully, and unleashing energy, there's no reason we shouldn't be able at least to hit that, if not beat it. Mr. Secretary, you mentioned cars. Who is dumping cars to the United States? Which no, country? I just use that as a figure of speech. Mr. Secretary, who is dumping cars to the United States? I said it was a figure of speech. Mr. Secretary, what happened between the press conference with Prime Minister Trudeau and the President said he would only be tweaking the relationship and this decision on Southwood Lumber? What changed? Well, first of all, this was not a presidential decision to do the softwood lumber. This was a decision that arose from a trade case that ha that was underway. So it was a normal decision. So I don't think it has anything to do with the personal relationship between Mr. Trudeau and the President. Mr. Secretary, finally, if you or the President have any faith and trust in WTO, well, WTO is a whole different subject matter. Uh, we do have some questions and some concerns about it. Uh, there will be a WTO meeting coming up in the next several weeks, and uh, what will come out of that will come out of that. Mr. Secretary, thank you. In your view, should the U.S. stay in the Paris Climate Agreement or withdraw from it? Well, now you're really getting outside my, my area. We got you. You're, you're a participant in those discussions. But, uh, <laughs> um, it's really outside my my area. I, I'm having enough difficulty dealing with the trade issues rather than poaching on other people's territory. Yes, ma'am. Are you, are you concerned about the renegotiations of FTA with South Korea? Well, the fifth anniversary of the South Korean arrangement, the so-called chorus, uh, comes up, I believe, on May 4th or May 5th, something like that. So that would be a logical time to think through whether there was something to be done or not. Do you think Swafford uh, Lumber might get Michael Flynn's name off the front pages? <laughs> Uh, is Michael Flynn now a trade issue? I wasn't aware that he was. Thank you, Mr. Secretary. Here's, here's one more way out of the box for you. Uh, oh, well, if, thank you for if that. If, in fact, the next president is uh, elected is Marine Le Pen in France, who is not at all for the continuing the EU, how would that affect uh, the relationship with France and, and the EU? Uh, that's such a hypothetical question that uh, I find it very difficult to answer. Macron? Well, I, I think let's wait for the French runoff election. Let's see what who's elected. Let's see what actions they take. And then we'll be in a position to make a reasoned response to the question. Thank you, Mr. Secretary.
That doesn't make me feel too good. They said, come back anytime. You're always welcome. He is always welcome. I'm glad you're out of questions because I'm not Now the secretary is exhausted, you all. So um, up on the screens, I know we had a little bit of discussion about this yesterday. Uh, this is the landing page for the content of the uh, website that we launched uh, late last night on the President's busy first 100 days. Um, I know that uh, many of you have noted the robust pace that the President has kept during these first 100 days. Uh, so it's just a glimpse of some of the action that he's taken and some of the key priorities that he made to the American people. Despite the historic obstruction by Senate Democrats, he's worked with Congress to pass more legislation in his first 100 days than any president since Truman. And these bills deliver on some of his most significant promises to the American people. He signed an historic 13 Congressional Review Acts uh, to clear unnecessary regulations and keep government out of the way of the American people. He's extended the Veterans Choice Program, giving our nation's heroes the peace of mind they deserve while well, this administration continues to work with Congress to enact comprehensive reform and modernization at the VA. He's refocused NASA's mission to dream big for American space exploration again and promoted programs dedicated to encouraging women to pursue careers in STEM fields. All told, he has signed 28 pieces of legislation. And it's not just through legislation that the President has made serious progress on his top priorities. The President promised to enforce our nation's borders. His Attorney General, Homeland Security, and their staffs have been working around the clock to fulfill that promise. He has directed a halt of federal funding to jurisdictions that do not comply with federal immigration laws. He has ordered the hiring of 10,000 immigration and customs enforcement officers and agents and 5,000 custom and border patrol agents. And it's working. Illegal alien border crossings have plummeted more than 61% since January of this year. The world is responding to the leadership that the President uh, is bringing under this, uh, bringing to Washington. In all, during his first 100 days, the President has made 68 calls with 38 different world leaders and hosted a total of 16 bilateral meetings. The President has rebuilt America's standing in the world, and these meetings and calls have led to real action. NATO Secretary General was here a few weeks ago, and he directly credited the President for his tough talk that was fair but tough as a candidate and now as a President for helping to put pressure on the counties and excuse me, on the countries that are not contributing their fair share to the alliance. Just last week, Aya Hagazi finally came home after the President personally addressed her situation with President al-Sisi. And China continues to take positive steps both at the UN and in other arenas to help us combat the threat posed by North Korea. The President has also turned his words into action here at home. For too many years, the hardworking men and women of this country were poorly served and with a government that wasn't working for them, but itself in special interests. As the President said during his inaugural speech, those forgotten men and women are not going to be forgotten by a Trump administration. From the moment he took office, the President has been taking action and putting America back to work by putting the, people's the people back into the government unleashing the American economy by slashing overly burdensome and unnecessary federal regulations, welcoming union representatives, top business leaders, and small business owners into the White House to personally hear directly from them about the policies that prevent them from creating and maintaining well-paying jobs. He's reinvigorating our domestic energy sector, reviving private infrastructure investment that helps us become more energy independent. And today, he's signing an executive order setting up a task force that will produce a 180-day review of the regulations, policy, and legislation 
that unnecessarily hinders economic growth in the agriculture sector. That tax force will be led by our newly sworn in Secretary of Agriculture, former Governor Sonny Perdue. Secretary Perdue, who was sworn in earlier this morning, along with many other cabinet members, will be traveling outside Washington this entire week to share these tremendous achievements with the American people. Uh, Small Business Administrator Linda McMahon is in Orlando for multiple events, including a roundtable with Hispanic small business owners. Tomorrow, Secretary Carson will be in Columbus, Ohio for the fourth stop of his listening tour, where he'll speak to the Ohio Housing Council and meet with local leaders and residents of public housing developments. And Secretary Purdue is getting right to work, traveling to Kansas City, Missouri, Thursday and Friday uh, to visit agricultural facilities and meet with Governor Greitens. The President and his extraordinary qualified cabinet have made incredible progress in just these first 100 days, but this is just the beginning. We look forward to even more prosperity as consumer and CEO confidence continues to rise in the wake of these pro-growth policies. An even safer world from destroying ISIS and other forms of radical Islamic terrorism that threaten our entire globe to keeping our smallest communities safe for American families. And a government that serves the people, not the special interests or political, uh, personal political alliances. Finally, before I take your questions, uh, I just want to proudly announce that on May 4th, the President will speak aboard the USS Intrepid in New York City to commemorate the 75th anniversary of the Battle of Coral Sea, a major naval battle during World War II in which the United States joined with Australia to halt the advance of enemy forces. Uh, that same day at the museum, the President will hold a bilateral meeting with Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull of Australia. The President looks forward to meeting the Prime Minister and to showcasing the enduring bonds, deep friendship, and close alliance the United States has with Australia. And with that, let's go. John Roberts. John, uh, does the White House believe that Lieutenant General Michael Flynn uh, broke any laws in filling out his standard form 86 disclosure? And, and furthermore, why is the White House apparently stonewalling the Committee on Oversight and Government Reform? on its request for some of the documents that should be in the White House's possession on Mr. Floyd. Uh, I will correct you on that. Um, the committee sent a form letter to several agencies, including the White House, asking to find those documents. The documents in question uh, the Department of Defense possessed and sent over to him. Uh, the documents that occurred before he worked here would be up to him to turn over. So my understanding is the committee has the documents that they right, were looking for. a letter that Mark Short, and I know that SF-86 was referred to the DIA. And it wasn't just referred to him, that's where it's well, held. Well, I know, but they were referred to the DIA for the SF-86, and apparently they have, they have gained access to that document. But there are other documents that should be in the White House's possession that Mark Short in the letter to the committee said the White House can't provide because of sensitive nature. Also well, said that there were no documents that were available prior to the 20th. Right. Uh, but I also asked the question, does the White House believe that uh, Lieutenant General Flynn might have broken the law when he filled out SF-86? I, I don't. That that would be a question for him and, and, and a law enforcement agency, whether or not he filled. I don't know what he filled out and what he did or did not do. That all happened. Uh, he filled that form out prior to coming here, and so it would be up to the committee and other authorities to look at that. I don't know. But with respect to the letter, they asked for three things. The SF-86, which you properly point out was in the possession of uh, the DIA. They, my understanding through reports is that they have obtained that. Um, then they asked for documents prior to January 20th. As you know through the Constitution, uh, we didn't assume uh, the White House until January 20th at noon, so we don't have the documents prior to assuming the White House. Uh, and then the third would be uh, they listed for every call and contact that he made, which is an extraordinary 
a number that that that's that's a very un, un um, that's a very unwieldy request. So was it the sheer volume of it, or was well? I mean, it's it's to say we want the national security advisor, whose job it is to talk with foreign counterparts on a daily basis, to document every call that he may or may not have made, uh, is not exactly a request that's able to be filled. But every document that they asked for, my understanding is that they've gotten. Is it your position that during the transition, the Trump transition has no custodial possession of any of these documents? Well, I would again, that, but that's. That, that, Lieutenant, I mean, that Flynn filled out as part of the process to become the president's national security advisor. I mean, what you no, said no, there's because because an arm's length relationship. No, no, because right, thanks. There's two, there's two issues. He had an SF-86, which is a security clearance form that was filled out during the Obama administration. He had a re-investigation uh, in 2016. That was done under the last administration. And again, those are, those are not... Um, Documents that the White House would ever possess on any employee, they would come from the requesting authority. Okay, so <coughs> and so in that case, again, remember they sent out a form letter to I think five or six agencies requesting the same documents. The place where the documents that they had questioned did did fulfill that request. Right, and I'm just trying to find out from your perspective: is there no obligation either the transition or the White House to do anything mm -hmm. more than you have done or has been done? In this matter, everything that the White House has been asked to do, we have made uh, that that the only documents that were made available to that were made available to them that they asked for were the ones that the Department of Defense had. And how about these calls made when he was working during the transition on behalf of a future President Trump? Aren't those things that you should have some either responsibility or obligation to provide if you can? Well, I think again, it's the question is if you can. When you ask for every that's call, no, but I, I think that's a that's a pretty. Um, there is, I mean, that to ask for every call or contact that a national security advisor made is a, is pretty uh, outlandish, if you will. To say that we want to have a list of everything, that, that you know, but, there is no. But, but theoretically, but again, the, the those question, calls were made on behalf of the Trump transition, were they not? When? When, when he was in the, I mean, this. Look, this Major, he, he did not, this we started this administration on January 20th. All the information that they're talking about occurred prior to him being at the White House. Right, but it was so working for the transition. Okay, and I'm then, just saying, is there then, any obligation you the, have? Not, to, not at the White House. Everything that is, is being questioned occurred prior to January 20th. But you're acting, the delivery of those documents but you're acting as if you had no custodial or, or right, ethical the responsibility of your own transition. That's all I'm trying no, to do. No, no, and, and I guess the question is, is that what... He was the, not the, making calls I, as a I, private citizen. He was making I, as a future I, national security. I advisor. understand that. And, and right now, to ask the White House to produce documents that were not in the possession of the White House is, is, un, is ridiculous. So, I've got John. Thanks a lot, Sean. A few weeks ago, when General Flynn's attorney wrote to the Senate Intelligence Committee suggesting some sort of immunity deal for uh, General Flynn, I asked you a question about whether the White House would be invoking executive privilege. And your response at that time was, no, we have no problem with General Flynn testifying. He's free to do so. Uh, we won't be invoking any type of privilege. Does that also apply to any documents that the White House may have relating to General Flynn, his service, his short service as the national security advisor to the president, and the time in which he served uh, in the transition period as an advisor to the president-elect? Um, I, I think, look, when you ask, I know that when, when Chaffetz was asked um, that whether or not that pretend, what he is looking into had anything to do with the White House, my understanding is he was very clear that that had to do with his time prior to that. So 
talking about what his role is at the White House seems not germane to any of the questions that are being asked. That again would have to go to General Flynn. There's nothing that is being asked for with respect to his service here at the White House. The documents that Major was referring to rest within the Department of Defense. My understanding is uh, that they were provided. And the overall issue of privilege, uh, would you be invoking I, but we're not, that's, I, that's, I'm not at this time that's, to answer that question. I don't know the answer. There's nothing that, that would uh, that I'm responding to on that particular matter. Try. Generally speaking, within the Trump administration, how important is it to the president that everyone working for this administration is honest on their security clearance forms. Very. And so, and if they don't, then they're going to be, you know, investigated. I mean, but you assume, I mean, look, everybody fills out forms all the time, all of us. At some point, we sign our name and swear under oath that we, everything that's done there. So I think each and every one of us, um, in different ways, signs our names and, and agrees to abide by the information that we provide. Just following up, uh, do you know if the president is aware of the comments that were made by the House Oversight Chairman today? And does he agree at all uh, with the assertion that uh, it seems as though General Flynn was not in compliance with the law? I'm not. And again, that's not, that would be a matter for them to look into, not for us. Caitlin. Does the White House consider Mike Flynn's payment from Russia today to be a payment from a foreign government? I don't know. That was, again, all the, all of that occurred prior to his service. Uh, does this White House consider a payment from Russia today to be a payment from a foreign government? I understand. What I'm saying is everything that he did was prior to coming to this White House. So right. for us to determine someone else's thing as a consultant. Today, do you consider, consider that to be a payment from a foreign government? I'm sorry, if what? If, if someone took money from Russia today, today. If they were an employee of the of the White House, absolutely. But, I mean, again, I don't know the exact circumstances. Everything that is being discussed occurred prior to uh, to his employment at the White House, occurred as a consultant. Um, and so whatever he did, as long as he did it in compliance with the law, as every one of us as a citizen has the right to do, that that's up to, to an individual to do and then comply with the law. To follow up on that, why, didn't he, why wasn't he more closely vetted during the transition period? Well, again, you fill out forms. and I I feel like the White House and the Trump transition team should have known about this before they were having him come to the White House. Well, again, you, you fill out the forms, you do an investigation, you do a background check. Every employee gets that background check done, and they have a security clearance, and they fill it out, and that's how everyone operates under the same guise. Um, I have two questions, but I want to follow up on that. So you're saying that it's a problem with the process of vetting, the vetting process, and not No, I'm just saying that... I'm not saying it's a process of vetting. I'm saying that every single person who comes to work in here at a certain level is required to fill out the same form, an SF-86, and they, that background check is adjudicated. Um, you rely on that person when they sign their name and then investigators to pick it up. But there's always going to be a, you know, in the case of uh, people who had a prior clearance that between the time that they filled it out and had it adjudicated, they could have engaged in something and whether or not they, they updated that or not is, is always the onus is on the individual. Um, I do want to ask you really quickly about the wall. Uh, yesterday, uh, President Trump reportedly said that he's going to delay um, pushing the wall through. Yeah, he did not. Hill. And so can you just clarify yeah. what the status of that yeah, is yeah. happening when? Thank you. The, the president um, made it very clear. I think he tweeted about this earlier. His priorities have not changed. There will be a wall built. It's an important to prevent human trafficking, gangs like MS-13 from coming into the country, the flow of illegal drugs, illegal immigration. There is a national and economic safety issue uh, by having a wall that ensures our country's safety. 
Um, and there's plenty of planning that can be done in FY17. We're going to continue. Our priorities are clear going into FY17, the remainder of budgeting for that. And we'll continue to ask for more in FY18. So it's delayed for now. No, I didn't. No, 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 no. I never. No one said delayed. No, no. There's a C. No, no. It's. There's two budget processes. Right now, we're going to end FY17 this week. We hope to continue to get funding in that, as the President laid out for both border security and homeland security and national defense, as we've always maintained. And then when we come to FY15, uh, excuse me, FY18, that starts at the end of, or beginning of October, the end of September, in that next budget, we'll go for the next group of money. So but you expect partial funding. I, I think we're going to make, we, we've made our priorities very clear as we continue uh, to negotiate. And I think nothing has changed on the President's priorities. Yeah. Sure. One more. Um, just if, if the president has threatened to withhold cost-sharing payments from insurance companies, so is that still the case? He hasn't. I, I think we've made it very clear that we want to repeal and replace Obamacare. And I think um, we continue to see uh, there's a prop up right now, and that's why we need to act uh, as soon as possible to get an insurance plan in place, a new insurance plan uh, system in place that will protect uh, people's insurance and, and not have these skyrocketing costs. But we have an artificially uh, propped up insurance system right now because of these payments. And I think that uh, we've got to make sure that we do everything we can as quick as we can to put a system in place that will solve that. Jonathan. Um, so uh, just to follow up on, on the two big topics, the wall and, and on Flint. First, on the wall, I just want to be clear. So is the president no longer insisting that there is money for the wall in this current Appropriations bill. The, the president's priorities are clear for FY17. There's a lot of things that we can do in FY in the remaining months up until the end of September for planning and making sure that we get everything that we need, funding that we need for that aspect of things. And then as we go into FY18, we'll continue to ask for more. I don't think anything's changed. So the president is not insisting that he has money for actual construction of the wall. Look, we're going to, I'm not going to get, there's, we're still in discussions with the House and Senate leadership, but I think the president's been very clear that he wants a wall. He wants it done as soon as we can do it. He has, that there are things that we need to do to protect our country, like human trafficking, the flow of illegal drugs and gangs uh, that are going to make sure that while we've achieved a significant drop in illegal alien uh, border crossing down 61% since January, that this is something that's in our country's long-term national security. Interest. The actual construction can wait until the fall. No, that's it's not a question of wait until the fall. I think there's a lot of things that have to happen. It's like any construction. You well, you've got to start doing some planning and things. And so we will take the first steps now, uh, and then we will continue to seek funding through the FY18 and further budget to make sure that the actual it, it is completed. And on Michael Flynn, does the president feel that he was misled? By General Flynn, I don't. I think the president made a decision a while ago because uh, General Flynn was not straight with the vice president at the time and uh, let him go. I think he stands by that decision, and it's up to others to uh, to review that all this information that's coming out. But does he now feel that he also wasn't straight with him? I, I don't know. I, a lot the of the facts are still coming out, Jonathan. So I know the president made a decision uh, a couple months ago. It was the right decision, and we've moved on, and we've continued to stay focused on. At the time he made that decision, he said he said that Flynn was the victim of a media witch hunt, and said he was a good man that had been a victim of. Right. This so witch let's hunt. still. Let, does he still feel I that think all the facts are still coming out on that. Let's see where they come. I think he made a decision a few months ago. He stands by that decision. John. Thank you, Sean. Two questions. Um, last night, the president said, and some have reported it, some pretty sensational charges about the Iran treaty. We know he's called it the worst agreement in history and the worst he ever saw himself. But he also said that at the time of the treaty, the government in Iran was on the verge of collapsing. 
and that is something I don't believe that has ever been reported before. He also said that the unfrozen assets, the billions, they're not used to fund terrorists, but they were uh, in Swiss bank accounts. Uh, is this based on intelligence reports he's received or other information? I'm not going to get into what the, what the president knows, uh, but I, there's a reason that we are undergoing an interagency process right now to look at the deal. Yeah, oh, Jessica. I had a second question. Oh, I'm sure. Okay. Uh, you know, you, uh, on General Flynn, anyone who is at his level and some levels below undergoes an investigation by the FBI with a final report. Uh, was the president ever given a final security report by the FBI on General Flynn? I don't know how. The, I I don't. He had. He was the head of DI of the Department of, um, of the Defense Intelligence Agency. He had an existing clearance. Jessica. Uh -huh. that the administration is making. We note the, the United Nations meetings yesterday. Now you've had an up-and-coming meeting with Congress. Are you, as an administration, trying to get a coalition together to build a stronger diplomatic case around actions uh, against Pyongyang? Yeah, well, I think you saw Ambassador Haley yesterday uh, in the discussion that the, the other ambassadors uh, who visited the White House engaged in a very robust discussion uh, with respect to North Korea, both as a group and then with the President. Uh, so obviously, the more that we can solve, a, solve this diplomatically and continue to apply pressure on China uh, and other countries to use the political and economic tools that they have to achieve uh, a goal in stabilization in the region, but also to, um, to tamp down the threat that North Korea faces, I think that is something that we all share. Would you characterize the administration's overall strategy on the DPRK? Well, I think it's we're we're you know it's ongoing, and I think but it's I think we've seen very positive signs with respect to um, a nation like China. I think the pre the relationship the president built with President Xi down in Mar-a-Lago um, is is definitely paying off dividends, and this president's um, relationships that he's building with heads of government uh, is clearly reestablishing America's place in the world and, and getting results for the country. Kayla. Kayla. I'm sorry? Will you be able to articulate that strategy and put a finer point on it for the Senate? Just to be clear, that, that meeting is a Senate meeting led by Leader McConnell uh, just utilizing our space. So that that is their meeting. Uh, so we're not there to talk strategy. They are going to be briefed by the... Can I answer the question? I, Major, I, you want to come on up? I mean, I'll, I understand there are four brief. Hold on. As you presenting your strategy to the U.S. There are four briefers that are coming up to talk about the situation in North Korea. They will be briefed by. They will. This is a Senate-led meeting that they are getting. Those four briefers will share to them the current situation uh, in North Korea. Kayla. Huh? So the senator should not expect. Well, no. Obviously, the Secretary of State and others are going to talk about uh, our posture and the activities that we're undergoing. And uh, Chairman Dumford will lay out some of the military actions and um, and and the way that they see uh, the lay of the land. I mean, they're going to answer questions as they routinely do uh, on a situation like this. Kayla. How long would you reasonably expect? the government to take to be fully staffed with essential personnel to draft, negotiate, and implement complicated policies like tax reform and put forward something that's a little bit more meaty than just broad principles? Well, I think we're going to uh, we'll have an something to, to share with you tomorrow. Um, and then we're going to continue to work with, uh, with allies and individuals who want to be part of this process. That conversation has really kicked off in earnest. 
with members of the House, Senate, House Ways and Means Committee and Senate Finance Committee, the leadership. And so we will continue to engage in that discussion and then outside stakeholders uh, to try to get uh, a plan really put together in details laid out in the next several weeks once we uh, make the announcement tomorrow. What progress have agencies been able to make in carrying out the executive orders that the president has put forward? Because today is actually the deadline for the regulatory reform officers right. to be in place. How many of those are there? I, I don't have a number on that. I can look at talk to our personnel office and get back to you. But I think we have been able to work with, in, in many cases, and I think I went over this uh, early on in the process, but we installed we called beachhead teams during the transition process. We put 400 plus individuals into these departments that in most cases transform into Schedule C employees. Uh, so we have been able to be up and running on almost every one of these in a very, very early process when you look at the totality of how we handled the transition of government. Uh, Amen. Thanks, John. Uh, on staying on taxes for a minute, can you give us a sense? The president said that he's going to present this plan tomorrow. Can you give us a sense of what we're going to see and when we're going to see it? No. I'm going to wait till tomorrow. I think we'll have plenty of time to talk about that tomorrow. Um, Adam? On a bit of just a bit of color, the president on Friday, when he announced that it was going to happen on Wednesday, aides here at the White House and over at Treasury seemed a little bit surprised to find out that this was coming as early as Wednesday. Can you tell us who inside the White House and at Treasury the President told he was going to announce this on Wednesday before he made the announcement? I think tomorrow we'll have a great plan for you to see. Adam. The Secretary of the Treasury actually said that the goal of tax reform is to spur growth of 3 percent or more, but already people are worried about deficits. And taxpayers for common sense put out a statement saying that growth, hogwash, growth is the magic pixie, does policymakers throw on economic plans to make them appear fiscally sound when they are not. What would you say to Republicans on Capitol Hill who are worried about this being a tax reform that would blow a hole in the deficit and in debt? Well, I will wait until tomorrow. You can see the plan. But I think, obviously, uh, we've got to do everything we can to get economic growth going and job creation going. The President's made tremendous headway on the regulatory front. Uh, and he's going to do everything he can on the tax front. But we've talked about this before. I mean, if you look at the corporate side in particular, uh, we have become largely uncompetitive because of our rates. And I think the more we can do to make our country, our businesses, our manufacturers in particular, more competitive, that's good for American workers. It's good for our economy. It's good for economic growth. Um, and I think the president, as I noted, I mean, when you look at the regulatory uh, side of what he has done, um, it has really helped a lot of industries start to see light, and that's why I think you see the confidence levels in so many surveys so strong under this president because he's achieved uh, real results already. So I will see you guys tomorrow. We'll talk about the tax plan. Thanks. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.